Hi, Sarah. Here we go. It's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Sophia Benoit is with us today. I'm very excited. Welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. I'm Jennifer Prokop. I'm a romance no- reader and critic. I'm not a romance novelist. You're I just not read. a romance novelist. No, never will be. But I love to read them. You don't even want to be one. I'm going to leave that <laughs> to the experts. Uh, I'm Sarah McLean, and I am a romance novelist. Do as I say, <laughs> not as I do. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> it seems like a lot. No, it's not true. I actually really do recommend it. I suggest you become a romance novelist and then meet somebody who really likes romance novels as much as you do and then start a podcast and then get Sophia Benoit, GQ sex columnist. You're right. To come it's on amazing. Your you can be like, come on our you. podcast. And it feels like a legitimate way to like. Yeah, you sound like a real person. As opposed to just being like, I really like you on Twitter. We do really like her on Twitter. Though. We love her on Twitter. She's amazing. Um, and her columns are awesome. Yeah, for sure. What you are about to listen to is a real delightful fucking conversation. And I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. We are so excited. We're so excited to have Sophia Benoit with us today. Sophia, welcome. Jen and I have been following you on Twitter for ages, and so we're so excited to have you with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm thrilled about this. We're really excited, too. So, Sophia, tell us, so you are the a sex columnist or the sex columnist for GQ now. Mm-hmm. And that is very exciting for all of us. We love sex columnists here on the pod. <laughs> um, and so tell us a little bit about how you came into being in that way. Um, yeah, so I started writing um, mostly on Twitter and online and on like free publications. And then I was writing mostly like comedy-ish kind of stuff. But because I've always been the the real way to put this is I've always been a horny person so I was always just <laughs> writing about sex so and reading about sex so I was always I always cared about these topics I always read about relationships I always was the person reading advice columns and this was always what I was thinking about and so I would tweet about this stuff and I had an editor from GQ reach out and say have you ever thought about writing about sex and relationships in general which I had, of course, thought about doing my whole life because I had, like, heard of Sex in the City and, you know. Sure. Like, it's of the course dream. I thought about that. Right. Like, who hasn't thought about that if if they're living this kind of life? Um, and she reached out and I said, yeah, oh, my God, are you kidding? I would love to. Um, and so I started with more comedic things that were less expert-based and were just kind of funny. And then she kind of helped shape it into, no, you could talk to experts and you could become an expert at this and read and write enough about it that you actually have um, something to say. So I started kind of slowly with GQ specifically and then branched out a little bit from there. Um, But it mostly came not out of anything other than a deep interest in and love of talking about sex and relationships. And I was just publicly always talking about them. So someone eventually was like, would you like to do this for real? Um, <laughs> and it, then it gets less weird. I mean, speaking as yes, somebody who yes. writes a lot about sex, right? Like, they're... Uh, yeah. It's a job Prior now. to having it be your job, it, you know, some people think that you're a little odd. <laughs> and yes, then, yes. And now, but now you're an expert, and so... It takes a little bit, too, for for you to figure out how to talk to 
friends and family that haven't seen you that way about it yes. and be like, oh, yes, I write about sex, which is a thing we've never talked about because you're my family member. Yes. But now it's my job. Yep. So <laughs> if you want to hear that I'm employed, it's about sex. <laughs> and so, then like, also, do you find, I often find that I am way for, especially now that we have the podcast, right? And so we're talking about not just sex. We're also talking about like sex in a tree or like sex with a demon <laughs> or like people yeah. who have multiple penises. And so, <laughs> so the, yeah. You end up like really lacking a filter in some ways. Like you'll mm-hmm. you'll be somewhere and you'll say something and then realize, oh shit, I probably shouldn't have. Like said, I should have probably I? pulled that back. <laughs> but also, people probably. I mean, at least this is the experience I have. Is now people come to me and tell me things where I'm like, oh, no. oh no, that's, <laughs> that's a that that's a boundary. A <laughs> yeah, but they're like, but you write about this and talk about this all the time. I'm like, yes, but mm-hmm. in a professional capacity or in a leisure capacity, not in a personal. Sh- yeah, yeah. I'm not sharing yeah. what I do. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, um. it is funny though when you cross those lines. And I, the funniest one to me, and I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast, is um, I am a teacher, but I have like an office, and all my office mates are are men, which is unusual, I think, for teachers. But whatever, it's fine. And um, they're all really great guys. And I was with Max and Pablo one day, and um, we were looking at a picture of Chris Evans. Mm-hmm. Right, the one where he has a beard in like Winter Soldier, or whatever. I was going to say and not were... the most recent picture of Chris Evans. No, 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 not that one. <laughs> Although quarantine times, we've not been able to have that conversation. <laughs> and I literally said something about Captain Sit on my face, <laughs> <laughs> and not appropriate <laughs> workplace p- discussion. Pablo was like, Jen, Jen, what did you just say? And I was like. Okay, sorry, everybody. We're just going to pretend that didn't happen. And, I mean, it was fine. I mean, these two guys I'm, like, really friendly with, and, like, it was fine. But it was just, I was like, I just was in podcast mode for a minute. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the worst part, the, but, I mean, usually it's fine. But the worst part is when it's, like, dudes at, at like, social events. And they just, like, yes, there's just no filter. And they forget that, like, you still have to treat people with respect. Um, yeah. Also, I weirdly have every doctor that I've ever had, which I have gone to many doctors, is like, oh, what do you do? And I stupidly say, I'm a writer, because then the next question is, what do you, you write? write? And then I usually follow with, oh, I'm a relationships or sex writer for GQ, which is a nice little, like, neat bow of mm-hmm. an easy thing to say. Right. But then I, my brain never remembers that the follow-up to that is a weirdness that, like, tinges the entire <laughs> doctor's You're office like... visit where I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and doctors are always, like, 65-year-old men who are on the verge of retiring from their practice. Mm-hmm. Always. Like, I don't know how I get stuck with that doctor every time. And every time I'm like, please don't say something weird. Just please don't say something. Let's get through this. <laughs> Just, we're all just, grown-ups. <laughs> we, can, yeah. we can do it. I believe in us. Like, I know you s- stuck someone a finger up someone's butt in med school, and you know I write about sex. Let's leave that there. <laughs> you know? not keep those separate, right? Yeah. I do have a question about the column, and I was thinking about it today as I was, like, rereading some of them, um, which is... Who do you think of as your audience? Like, is your audience, like, the internet, or is your audience, like, GQ subscribers? 
Is, is Hot that still a magazine for men, though? Because I feel like... Yeah, I mean, so, that's kind of my question. Yeah. So what I heard when I started this, which was about four years ago now, so that's probably somewhat changed. Um, and they have a new editor-in-chief, so they might be advertising differently, X, Y, Z. But what I heard when I started was that their readership is actually 30% female, which is incredibly high considering mm-hmm. that they are solely marketing towards men at, at pretty much every turn. I try to, as much as I can, sneak in stuff for women or just sneak in advice that I feel is so universal that even if you're reading it, you could so easily be like, I can replace the pronouns. I get that this is about me, too, and I get this experience. I get it. Um, But they want it to be mostly for men. Um, And I actually have a little bit come around on this idea because I think there's so few spaces where men are talking positively about sex and um, personally about sex and, and both in my own newsletter and in GQ when I've written um, advice columns for them because for a while I did some of their advice questions. The, the overwhelming thing I get from men is that they're so relieved to have a space to talk about sex that isn't bragging, competitive, that's much mm-hmm. more confessional because women confess stuff to each other all the time sexually. Right. Like, all right. of us go to our friends and say, like, do you know what happened the other night? Like, has this ever happened to you? <laughs> is this weird? <laughs> is this weird? Or like, oh, my boyfriend did X. Has that ever happened with you guys? You know, like that yeah. conversation is so natural for us. And what I found is that men don't have those good outlets that are um, super non-judgmental and super open. Or they don't feel like they do, even if they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to sometimes keep in mind that there is a value for a male space that feels sexually non-judgmental that is really aimed at men and that maybe can attract men to reading and talking about a little bit more even if it is sometimes exclusionary (laughs) so that's a long answer but (laughs) no but I think what you do so well with your columns is interestingly it's clear that your columns are are um I mean not always, but often directed at people who are giving pleasure to people who have clitorises, vaginas, you know, yeah, and centering the other with that in the sense that center, like ple- centering the pleasure of your partner, which is not mm-hmm. a thing that, and I don't know if this is true in the world, but certainly the perception of cis het men in the world is centering the your partner's pleasure is not paramount right 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 but i mean certainly I mean, that can't be that can't be true <laughs> no but that's no I, that's the bad that's, rep that men have <laughs> right well i i think one thing that i always thought was weird growing up i remember complaining about this on twitter years and years ago is i i thought it was so funny that women's magazines always had sex tips when men are the ones who come all the time mm-hmm. and i was like we don't need them we're doing great here if you're looking at just cis het relationships we're, fine. <laughs> we're yeah. fine we don't need any more sex tips clearly cis het men are by and large Orgam, uh, orgasming. Like, we're doing fine. Yeah, yeah. I think who needs the sex tips are men, which, I mean, it was a very trite joke of what was happening, but I do think there's some truth in this idea of women are told all the time how to prioritize pleasure and how to be better and how to this right. one weird trick and here's how to please him and here's how to surprise him and here's how to keep it fun. And I'm like, well, who's doing this 
for, for men. Yeah. And who's telling them that they should be thinking about this stuff? And one of the things that we talk about so much on the podcast is this thing, this issue of, like, women don't really have any awareness or, or people whose body, people who have uteruses and, you know, breasts and vaginas don't, are never taught, like, how their bodies work. I mean, we, right. we are in the dark, Largely until we get to a point where some of us feel open enough that we can ask the questions that we want to ask. And now luckily we have, you know, great, um, you know, doctors and who, and, you know, sex columnists and therapists and people who are public in the world and sort of say like, this is how, this is what is ordinary. Like this is what is normal. But, you know, I think all the time about reading Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are or like Jen Gunter's mm-hmm. The Vagina Bible and thinking like, oh my God, it's that's yeah. normal. Like that's a thing that I've always sort of wondered about. <laughs> right. Yes. And so I do think like we're you are part of a larger shift culturally toward this idea that like we should all especially in America be more thoughtful about how our bodies function and what they can and cannot do. Yes, and how they function in relation to another person. Like how do you create harm? How do you create pleasure? What do you do? that makes you feel worse, that makes the other person feel worse versus better, you know, it's hard. All of us are like these like little meat sacks bumbling around, (laughs) like slamming into each other because it feels good. Like that's hard to do right. You know, it's hard. But it's interesting because Jen and I have talked, you know, forever about, I mean, we have a podcast about romance novels, which frankly, like, look, romance novels do a lot of hard work in terms of showing like how bodies function and what pleasure can be like. But at the same time, they also tell a lot of lies to us as when we're young. Well, and I think one of the things we also talk a lot about is like where, because sex education is so fraught in this country or is so different in so many different places. I mean, you know, where do you learn about sex? And I think a lot of people will say, like, you know, I will say romance novels, but I, you know, I think a lot about, like, well, where will young people today say they learned about sex? And my guess is somebody's going to be like, I learned about it by reading these columns. Or, you know, if you only learn about it by watching porn, you know, I feel like there's so much... There's so many ways in which, like, I mean, porn's great, but it it really is, like, so narrow. It's really hard, I think, to find, like, sex-positive porn. I feel like that's, like, a dumb thing to say. And it's one of the reasons I really liked um, this latest book by um, The Roommate by Rosie Dannon. Because I felt like it really, like, took seriously the idea that, like, just because it's sex on screen doesn't mean it's positive necessarily and like really trying to unpack like what that could possibly mean and i think a lot about i i mean i have a teenager <laughs> so i think a lot about like how terrifying it is to to like how do i i don't know that i've done a good job i feel like i have in some ways of like really thinking about like where are you getting information about sex and if you as a parent aren't doing it, someone else is doing it for you. And it's hard to know, like, that that's going to be, like, this re- these really thoughtful people who were writing for GQ, <laughs> right? Or as opposed to, you know, who knows what. So Yeah, I mean, I, I personally learned, I would say, probably 80% of anything sexually from Cosmo and romance novels. That would be, like, at least 80%. And I do think there's, I think there's so much value in just having places that were willing to even talk about mm-hmm. things and and that alone 
had did such a good job of removing shame from it where it was like no one is blushing no one is like oh this is a funny thing this is a not serious thing it was always um like it it was these examples of adults who weren't shamed for wanting sex or talking about sex or liking sex or whatever it may be and that alone even if you can't teach like here's where the clitoris is. Even if you can just teach somebody that it's not bad to figure that out, Mm -hmm. that is such a good Mm -hmm. step enough that like, I don't think, I think, I think one, you're probably doing an amazing job just by not being a parent that's ashamed of the fact that their kid knows what sex is. (laughs) So like the fact that like, there's even that baseline level of taking the shame away, then whatever questions that a person has that it's not shameful to ask the question. It's just part of figuring it out, you know? Can I can I say something that I... Why are people so confused about where the clitoris is? It's I don't right get there. that either. It's right It's there. like being like... It's right there. <laughs> it's also... It's, it's like someone looking at that? the... It's literally like someone looking at the arm and being like, I can never tell where the elbow is. <laughs> it's right Babe, there. What? <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I, I every time someone's I'm always no, like, it's like I an think, excuse. It feels like yeah. an excuse. Right. I think the thing is too is like I will say where it is isn't really the question. It's how do I touch this in a way that feels yeah. good, which is difficult. Like I think that's difficult for any person, even your own self. It's difficult yeah. to always know what's and you know, good it down requires there. a partner who's like willing and also and and able to willing and and able to communicate right like yeah that you can say that feels good but that doesn't and that's yes. hard women are not taught to do this generally right. no in the world no no and and it's also like often your first experiences are with another young person who's a bumbling idiot and it's like especially if it's with with a guy or anybody who doesn't have their own similar body parts if you are already in that like, if you're trying to have a good sexual experience with a 21-year-old cis-het dude, good luck, you know? <laughs> Not because of anything bad. It's just good right. luck. Yeah. Well, you this know? is why Jen and I have issues with new adult romance. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> They're always if sex you are a sophomore like, in college... You are not the greatest lover who ever walked the planet. <laughs> no, you're not even the greatest lover in a one block radius. <laughs> no. Well, this is, I feel like, you know, it's funny because like looking back, I, my, um, this, okay, this is like a funny story. So my, my son is applying to college right now. So he'll, he'll be a freshman in college somewhere next year. God bless me and my bank account. <laughs> and, um, but the thing is, I, I was remembering a really good friend of mine in college, his mom, like, ran Planned Parenthood somewhere, like, in, like, Oklahoma City, I think. And um, I remember, like, just the his facility with, like, talking about, like, sex and condoms. And, you know, basically he was, like, throw, like, his mom would, like, just send packages of condoms. And I was like... Like, it was just like fascinating that's to a me. Halloween house where they gave out condoms. It was, but I, like, you know what? I was like, life goals. Like, I, my mm-hmm. poor son is going to go away to college, and I'm going to be the mom sending, like, Costco-sized, like, condoms, <laughs> like, to the dorm. Honey, just give these to your friends. Can we talk, proselytize okay. about lube? Like, here you go. Mom's, mom's on it. He, I, there's no way to say this to him, but... 
the person that the guy, especially men, because again, I think women have these like built in social circles that talk about this. But when a cis het dude is comfortable talking about sex, it's so much more attractive to the women around him because it's like, you're not going to make me feel shitty. Yeah. And that is good. Like, he should be so lucky to have a parent that normalized it for him because it will only help him in his life. Like, he will always have a better time because it's so much more attractive to be with someone who doesn't seem like they're going to be shitty to you, you know? Yeah, I would hope so. Bare minimum. So a couple of years ago, our son went to Lollapalooza and was, like, sending us videos of, like, him with his friends. And Lollapalooza is, like, a is like a skin fest. Like, these are beautiful young people, and they are not wearing very many clothes. And it is, like, I I, I just think it's the best thing ever. Like, you're young and beautiful, and you should go yeah. to Lollapalooza in that string bikini, and you, are, you look amazing. <laughs> and my husband was like, do you think we should give him condoms? And I was like, I did that already. And he was like... Coming in clutch. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> and I was like, uh, honey, I'm on it. You know, but it, it was just, yeah. That's just good sense. He just married, he married well. I, you married, yeah. And I and I remember when I gave them to my son, I was like, he was like, ah. And I was like, look, I, we're just, I'm doing my job right now, and so are you. I mean, it's yeah. my job to provide you with these items. It is your job to take them and use them. If you need them, give them to your friends if they need them, and tell me if you need more. That's how this works. Perfect. I always just think, like, that's such a less awkward conversation than, hey, mom, I got someone pregnant. Uh, so yeah. oh. pick this conversation. Don't pick that one. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the better one. Promise you. I promise let's, you. <laughs> let's go this way for sure. Yeah. So, Sophia, you you started um, reading. Ro- you've read romance novels for a long time then. Uh, yeah, at least I would say f- conservatively 15 years. And I read I'm on my 41st romance novel of the year. I just counted before this podcast because nice. I was like, I want to know what our people. So I read a lot. Um, so when, how old were you about when you started reading them? I think I was about, tw- I was about 12 or 13 because I stole our my people. sister's. I stole are, my yep. sister's at 11 or yep. 12. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. Right around there. <laughs> um, and the thing is, is that, so for me, right, the idea of I have a, I have a daughter who is not, she is six and a half, so she's not there yet. But, like, if when she is 12, I'm sure when she is 12, she's going to be like, ugh, romance novels are the worst because my job is yeah. what my job is. So it's a whole different thing. But if she at 12, you know, if we were, you know, an ordinary family where I had a real job, she would say, like, I want to read romance novels. And I would say, fine, like, yes, have as many of them as you want because we're talking about, obviously, um, modeling of a relationship that is about trust and compassion and love and like all the things that should come and pleasure and all the things that should come with sex. But you still hear, you know, we hear all the time from readers who yeah. are nervous about letting their 12 and 13 year olds read a romance novel. And it feels so much to me like that's just, it's packed in with all of the other stuff that comes with sex in America right? Like, there's a reason why our teen pregnancy rates are so much higher than teen pregnancy mm-hmm. rates in, you know, Scandinavian countries where yes, yes. it's just not a thing. Well, one kind of a, an interesting story that I was thinking about before I came on here, I was thinking about my own history with romance novels, and, and all throughout high school and into college, and then once I moved out of college, I always used to 
put my romance novels in the back of the shelf behind mm-hmm. my good books. Mm-hmm. And I would always, like, there was the yeah. good books, mm-hmm. and then behind it was romance novels. And I occasionally another woman would find out that I had romance novels back there, but I never, ever let any guy see it. And then I moved in with my boyfriend, who knew I read romance mm-hmm. novels because I had said I read romance novels. <laughs> he had seen evidence of it. Yes. It's on and your got, website, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Right, like, uh, also, he has followed me on Twitter. I'm pretty sure he has an understanding of what <laughs> I'm like. Also, we had been dating for years. Like, but I'm moving in with him. And I went to put the romance novels behind the other books because book. that's like what you do with romance novels, in my mind. And again, I don't feel like I have any shame about them, but obviously I do if I'm hiding them behind other books. And here I am, like, 25 years old at the time, and he stopped me and was like, what are you doing, first of all? Weird. (laughs) But he was like, but what if somebody else wants to talk to you about these books? What if they come in our house and they see romance novels and they say, oh, I read romance novels? And it hadn't even occurred to me that other people in my life would be doing this. It was like... Sure. Yeah. I don't know why that is the case, because, again, some of the good books, good books, not that, obviously, I read way more romance than any other (laughs) genre. I love romance novels so much, but the books that I felt like were these, like, impressive books have sex in them and have love in them and have all these other things in them that are inappropriate, quote-unquote, to, like, talk about, I guess. And here I am talking about sex all the time. And I think there is a certain level that all of us still feel shame, not just about the sex part of it, but I think for women, there's a a shame around admitting you want the love part of it too, the the Mm -hmm. vulnerability side of that. I think that's another thing that's hard. And so I think when we attach our own shame to romance novels about, you know, this is where I go to experience love and sex in these fan fantastical ways that I hope exist and we attach our own shame to that then it's hard to ever imagine giving your not ever but I think it's hard for some people to imagine giving their kid that because you think of your own shame you don't necessarily think of the content of the book as much as your relationship to the content which is I keep this part of me hidden and it's taken me until like literally this last year to be like, why am I not telling people I read romance novels? Why am I not putting it on my Goodreads? Why am I not? First of all, who cares? And second of all, I love them. Like, why would I not tell people about this? You know? Well, and it suits too. I mean, it all packs, it all fits with the Sophia Benoit yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's surprised that I'm reading books about sex. No one's going to be yeah. like, oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I'm shocked. It is. It's so fascinating, though. But I do think part of me does think it's also, for those of us who did start reading it when it, when we were 12 yep. or whatever. It, it, We've hidden I it do, forever. Yeah. Yes. I mean, right? I spent more time hiding it than not. I mean, my husband talked about, like, the box of books under the bed. Like, I kept them in, like, a Tupperware container, right? And he still thinks it's so hilarious. But I was just like, you don't know how it felt. Like, I had to sneak them. Yeah. yeah. Right? I worked, and, when I first moved to New York, yeah. I worked in publishing. I worked for this, like, boutique literary PR firm. We had, like, Pulitzer Prize winners and, like, you know, it was, like, fancy, fancy writers. And I hid, you know, by then I'd been reading romance novels for a decade and, like, was reading them constantly. And I hid them from my boss for years, for, like, four or five years. And then when I finally—then I left that job and I went off and, like, I had a, you know, a, a 
you know, went to other jobs and she followed me along the way. And then I wrote my first book. And to this day, she's like, I cannot believe that that is the life that you have. Like it never make it doesn't make any sense because I was working <laughs> on all of these like other right. sort of literary books yes. and I had hidden it from her because of that. And now still, she's still somehow like this older woman in her seventies now who is retired and like not, should not be kind of a, should not lurk in my mind. <laughs> like every time right. she sends me an email, I'm like, oh, I feel that sort of knot of yes. like I can't admit that this is my job now. Except it's my I do pretty I do okay too. <laughs> yes. I mean I mean, I'm not kidding you. I was explaining to my boyfriend what I was doing today and I was like, You don't understand who I'm talking to. Because like oh. I have read your books for years and I'm like I love them. Oh, They're well huge thank you. But, well, I wish you'd been my boss. <laughs> no, I I would have been like bring it out for lunch break. We're all getting romance novels. Let's go. But I do think there is like, I think it's really hard to admit. Again, I think it's also hard to admit that vulnerable side because I think we all as women got told somewhere along the way, we like went too far down that I am a single lady who doesn't need a man path. And this like independent woman, career lady, intellectual thing got really there was space made for women in that field, but then it became the only acceptable path, which is like, yeah, that's great. But also that comes with still wanting to be in love with people. (laughs) Like, why would that go away? You still want to feel good. You still want joy in your life. Yeah. I think one thing that I like as a critic see like, and is that the baseline assumption is that there's something stupid about romance And therefore, if you're smart and a good writer, you could be doing more, right? That somehow that this is a, to spend time thinking deeply about romance is just like, why are you like, you know, casting your pearls before swine or whatever, literally, right? And I think there's a lot of ways when you watch people, like when you listen to podcasts or watch things, people talk about romance that like that's often at the core of it. It's deeply internalized, this idea that somehow to, to do this work or to think it's important is wasting a talent that would be better spent doing like literature or writing, you know, for GQ, but, you know, about pop stars or like whatever, right? Totally. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Obviously, no one here agrees with that, but I also just find that such a, I mean, I've had that feeling myself, so I get it intellectually, but like, I I feel like, okay, like I tried to read Anna Karenina and it was so boring, (laughs) I wanted to die. And I was like, you know, honestly, a lot of people can write a really boring, like good book if they try <laughs> write something entertaining and see how hard that is. Like, write yeah. something that I can't put down. Like, there have been a ton of good books that I've read where I'm like, this is a good book. I enjoy it. I love it. But I can put it down. Like, I don't really care if I ever finish it. Uh, that has never happened with a romance <laughs> I, like, ruin my life yeah, for romance I don't want to go I'm out. Like, I don't want to get up. I don't no, want to eat. It's like yeah. 4 a.m. I have to go to work the next day at 9, and I'm like... Who cares? We got to find out if they're going to touch. Come on. <laughs> got to find out. I have no idea how this is going to end, and no one does. I have felt that way about books I have already read. Oh, same. I, mean, I would like Same. same. I'm, I'm like, like 
Oh my god, I yell at my books like the TV, of and course. so I'll just I will throw them down. I will. At one time, I was alone in my house, and it was getting like there was one romance novel that was getting so spicy and like it was longing it wasn't even sex scenes it was just like longing and I don't know why but out of my mouth I just yelled prom is cancelled even though it wasn't about prom it was two adults I don't know why that was the first thought that came to my head was prom is cancelled and that's That's now what I think every time anyone gets too spicy I'm like oh good lord prom is not happening this year Wait a minute. I should we should say about Foco. This is like the homecoming actually oh. was canceled and my son was, he went out with him some friends and they got dressed up and he was calling it Foco. Adorable. <laughs> Instead of Hoco and I was like we were on the phone together with him and it was really cute. So yeah, oh, it's actually prom was canceled. Is canceled. <laughs> Not because of horniness though. No. no. That <laughs> horniness is definitely the right the best way to cancel prom. Best <laughs> reason to cancel exactly. prom. Exactly. Sure. Um wait, so Sophia, we have to go back to the beginning because you were 12 years old and you started reading romance novels and who were you reading okay so when i first started my sister i think one of the earliest ones my sister had was mary ballow Mm -hmm. i'm assuming Mm -hmm. that's the pronunciation of her name um and those ones have less sex in them lots of longing which exactly that's exactly it Prom gets canceled a lot in her novels (laughs) it's a there's a lot of cancellations um and that is, I think, that from both my sister and I, because now we, like, she and I just text each yeah. other anytime there's, like, a new book. We're like, you have to read this one. You're going to love it. Um, so that was one of the earliest romance novel experiences. And then there were some more, like, contemporary romances that, um, like, a Meg Cabot mm-hmm. adult romances mm-hmm. that were very classic to me. However, I have come to understand of myself that I'm not as much of a contemporary person because, in general, in 2020 or whenever, the reason two people can't be together is because they're like, I don't like you. And I'm like, that's fine. That's (laughs) great. Like, go do your therapy and live your life. (laughs) But I want to know that these two people can't be together because, like, she's the maid in his household and his <laughs> yeah, brother right. killed her brother. I and mean, there's, you're like, singing our song here. <laughs> yeah, like, I... The banana phone. <laughs> yeah, I need longing the likes of which we have not seen in centuries because families and caste systems and, like... Because if you don't like someone in 2020, you can just say, that guy's an asshole no. and never see him again. <laughs> Right. It takes so much work to make a good contemporary romance because there's just not that many barriers. And so, like, yes. the most interesting contemporary romances, um, the only real contemporary romances I read with any regularity are queer contemporary romances because those at least have the reality of longing and confusion and heartbreak and, like, the oh, actual, yeah. like, spicy drama stuff <laughs> that I love. Um, so those are the only, like, contemporary I read anymore, really. There's a few exceptions, but I got really into historical stuff. Do you feel like, and has that always been the case, or do you feel like 2020 has brought, has like pulled you away from contemporaries? Because I definitely feel like I am, I'm reading fewer contemporaries in 2020 than I have maybe in the past. (laughs) I mean, well, they're the most fantasy ridden books of all right now. I'm like, these motherfuckers walking around, hooking up, (laughs) shaking, going (laughs) to bars. Mashing their open, unmasked mouths together. (laughs) I don't know what the hell they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. I I think I kind of, I think, I just think I never got as many 
I, I don't think I ever got as into contemporary because yeah. I started with a lot of historical novels. So are um, you, so you read Mary Bela. Did you read, but are you a like Lisa Kleypas? Is she? Yeah, is she I read on? all, I read right. all Lisa Kleypas. I read Julia Quinn. I read Tessa Dare. I read everything by her. Um, and I started with those and those, when I was a kid, it was harder to get them because there wasn't Kindle and you had to like find a place to buy them. And I'm also so anal about things that I'm like, I have to read them in order, which was like impossible to do as a child because the library would have like three random Julia Quinn books and you're like, oh, great. Like, good news. <laughs> what happened to these um, other siblings? Exactly. Like, <laughs> How oh, am I, I supposed to start with Benedict? Four oh. other Bridgertons, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so like, it became kind of like my sister and I like putting together the pieces, like blues cluesing our way into like getting all the pieces <laughs> no. together. Like, um, so those were like the big the Bridgertons for sure was huge and and those novels originally kind of got me into it Mm -hmm. and then when I got an Amazon account and found out about Kindle game over yeah forget it it. was like yeah no it's forget it and then once they had the like authors that are similar to and then you just yeah you spend all day done yep done um so recently the like couple recent like huge like, I've gone into all of their, you know, print out the book list. I'm the kind of person that literally uses my printer in 2020 <laughs> to the print out. the printable list. Yes. I've always yes. wondered who was. I've always wondered. People now ask I know. for it and we deliver. But, what? yeah, so it's you. It's me. It's me. Because I, this is, I have, like, red string on the wall. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, which book next? And when is, the, when is it being published? That's me. I'm that person. I love so, that. Um, so now I've gotten into, like, the people that have most recently done, like, a deep dive into there is Kat Sebastian and Mm -hmm. Stacey Reed. The two of them, I feel like I've Mm -hmm. read 500 of their books in the last two years. Like, everything I can find, so. And do you ever, so you are obviously a historical, a big historical reader. Do you read paranormal at all? Do you read, do you read, like, outside of contemporary at all? Um, or outside of historical at all? No. I mean, again, I read some contemporary. Yeah. Like, I loved The Hating well, Game. I loved that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I can't... I've never tried Paranormal, and I will say I've been reluctant to try other genres before. Like, I started reading a bunch of gay romance novels, mm-hmm. like male-male romance novels last year, I guess it was, which I was reluctant to do, even though I'm not straight, but I was reluctant to do it because I was like... I don't usually watch gay porn, so I don't know if this is going to work for me, which is hilarious because, like, the part of romance novels I like is, like, people being sad and looking across the room at each other. Yes, (laughs) agreed. Which is, like... You like it when everyone's broken. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Everyone's like, oh, I don't think we can. Make it work. How is this going to happen? But, like, that doesn't... That's not gender-specific at all. So, as soon as I started reading gay romance novels... Immediately, I was like, oh, my God, this is the genre. So then I put everything to the side, and I was like, we have to refocus, you guys. We have to go, <laughs> we have to go back 10 years. <laughs> we go back. Alarms are sounding. Have you read, yes, yes. Have you read K.J. Charles? Yes. Uh, some. Gosh, I, I have a couple books from K.J. Charles. Um, I haven't read as many. I read one that I, I'm very specific about my requirements. Like, if... If there's a kid in a book, they have to... That takes a while. That's, like, a huge hurdle for oh, me. Because usually same. people... K, 
can't write kids into novels well. And once somebody becomes a parent, like I help raise my little siblings. So once someone becomes a parent, I'm like, it's not that they're not sexual anymore, but I'm like, I need you to worry about your children. (laughs) Like you need to care for your children. I was just talking to somebody about this this morning and saying historicals are really the only genre. That's really the only genre where you can believably put a child on the page and then lose them because surely there is a governess somewhere. (laughs) Yes. I feel the same way. As soon as someone has a kid and they're like, they're in the nursery, I'm like, okay, I believe it. But if it's like a, a modern book where they're like, I'm a single mom, I'm like, come yeah, on now. You're never banging again. Now that kid is with you all the time. That kid is watching Carmen San Diego next to you all the, <laughs> yes, all the time. All the time. <laughs> I remember Molly O'Keefe, who writes contemporaries, talking about this one. And she's like, I feel like in this one book, which is like one of my favorites called Wait For It, she's like, I just solved it by having them have sex in his limo all the time. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Sure. So okay. they're doing, they're traveling to the date and then banging. And then, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Like the babysitter's with the kids and they're in the limo. If you're rich, if you're rich, that also buys you a lot. Like, if you're so rich that you're like, yeah, that stuff I can buy. But when it's someone that's just like, I'm a new girl in town with my son, I'm like, no way. Don't (laughs) we? No. You were no child. Congratulations. You're never having sex again. (laughs) You were at Target, and I know it. You're at Target cleaning Cheerios out of your car in the parking lot like the rest of us are. Get real. (laughs) It's so grim. It's so true. Well, that's why I I tell people I never believe secret baby. Like, I, when my son was born, I was like, this is the hardest fucking thing I've ever done. And the idea that I would have kept this a secret, hell no, I would be knocking on your goddamn door being like, this child is yours. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck me. Yeah. Get over here. (laughs) There are no secret fucking babies. Too hard. I, yeah, so I have, like, very specific requirements of what I will and won't accept as, like, reality for me. And if it's too unrealistic in specific ways, I can't get over that. Like, if if a billionaire is a nice person, I somehow can buy that, which is probably not true. The least realistic. Yeah, the least realistic. (laughs) There's, like, an ethical billionaire, maybe. But uh, (laughs) there's certain plot lines I just can't do. So I I do have very stringent requirements for, like, (laughs) which makes me think I couldn't do paranormal. However, I've been surprised before by what I've liked. So I probably should try. I probably should, like, figure out something in in the paranormal world. I mean, we don't read a ton of paranormal over here at Faded Mates, but we did start the podcast because of Cressley Cole. So, I mean, if you wanted a recommendation, we got a whole season worth of... We did. So Faded Mates season one uh, was... Intended, Fade Mates was only intended to be 18 episodes long. It was intended sure. to be one episode a week for 18 weeks. And we were, you know, we were going to do every two weeks for 18 episodes. And we were going to read every book in Cressley Cole's Immortals After Dark series, which my okay. husband refers to as Monster Mash. Um, <laughs> and is essentially like, imagine every possible immortal creature there ever is. Um operating sort of simultaneously along the Earth world, but also in, like, (laughs) a massive immortal battle for the universe. Okay. Um, But it begins with a werewolf gnawing off his leg to escape eternal fire uh, because he he sends his his mate mate up above him in Paris. And so, you know, (laughs) so he does. He regenerates. The leg leg regenerates. (laughs) 
I mean, you want to talk about no, you want to talk about longing. He's been in eternal fire for hundreds of years, Sophia, and then he oh, smells wow. his faded mate above him on the Champs Elysees, oh, wow. and he's like, "I have to get to her. I gotta, gotta go. go. I'm you guys, waiting. I gotta go. <laughs> Who needs this leg? So he, you guys, yeah, gotta go. I mean, it, it's the stakes were high. It's not the worst thing we've ever read. <laughs> There are some things, well, there's also, like, such little things that sometimes you go into a book and a character has a specific trait that you're like, I cannot deal with that in real life. There's no way. Or that the author thinks something is hot and you're like, that, that's not hot. We cannot deal with. (laughs) No way. That's not going to happen. And I usually try to make it through, but there definitely been some reads where I'm like, Okay, we have to give it up. No, thank there, you. It's not yeah. going to happen. Sure. It's not going to happen for me. I don't see someone longing for this person. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny the things that are the deal breakers or the things that you're like, this is clearly ridiculous, but I'm going to go ahead and keep reading because I like everything else about it and I'm just yeah. going to fix it in my head. Yeah, That's oh, what I totally. retcon it away. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. completely. I have- Taken so many men's earrings out in historical romance. <laughs> oh novels. well, there was a time when every historical hero had an earring, I, and I've taken them all yeah, out. I mean, you absolutely <laughs> should. That's just good sense. <laughs> that hole has closed up. That's fine. Well, the the eighties and early the eighties were like a time of oh, very mustachioed men as well. Which oh yeah, is an oh, odd. Yes. It's like obviously a Tom Selleck homage, but in. Yeah, 2020. That's a tough sell for me. So, oh, also yeah. um, when sometimes when there you're in the right time period in the 1700s where it's too much wig stuff. Mm. Where I'm like, I can, oh I can yeah, wig understand a wig for a, a man. That's fine. Like I can get past one or two mentions of it. But when it's like a thing constantly of him taking on and putting off a wig, I'm like, I, I. I would be laughing so hard if I hooked up with a guy that had a massive wig on that's like three feet high. Sure. I'd be like, okay, this is hilarious. We have to address this. That whole that that is the sticking point for me on most of those seventeen late seventeen hundreds romances. Yes, it's hard. It's wigs, high heels, and mm-hmm. like lacy, like lots yeah, of right. lace. Yes, and unless you're Elizabeth Hoyt, it's not. It probably isn't working for me. But that's because Elizabeth Hoyt writes like. The most filthy, dirty talkers there is. There are. In oh, have you read Elizabeth Hoyt? That one with Winter Makepeace has like, like arguably one of the best blowjob scenes in all of historical romance. I'm literally looking at my list because I'm pretty sure I have, <laughs> and I'm looking at my. Okay, yes, she yes, starts I have. with the Raven. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I have my whole Kindle. All those yes. Prince books. Boy. Yeah. I'm for it. I also, my sister and I have talked about this a lot because we we were talking about this, I think, at Christmas this year. We were a little tipsy, admittedly. And we were talking to her husband, my boyfriend, about romance novels. And her husband was making fun of us being like, oh, the dirty sex scenes. And both of us at the same time were like, I don't actually care about the sex scenes at all. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what do you mean? Isn't that what you read it for? And both of us were like, no, not at all. Sometimes I even just skip them, especially if I'm rereading something. I'm like, nah, whatever. They had sex. I get it. I get it. And we were both trying to explain that we were like, no, what we want is that, like, lead up of, like, oh, he oh, wants yeah. her. She wants him. Like, <laughs> That's fine. If you want to blow somebody in a church or whatever, like, That's do fine. it. That's your business. That's fine. <laughs> sure. I, I will read, like, and stop. Like, so I I will stop sometimes. I read really fast. So Sarah knows I have, like, well, I, I talk a lot about one way I stop, which is when 
often the hero has fucked up and is in cold storage. I will often stop there because I don't I don't trust the author is going to make them suffer enough. And so by stopping my reading right there, they are in suffering stasis, kind of like Han Solo. And they're just suffering until I'm I am ready to remove them and bring them back into the world. So I will often prolong their suffering. But the other thing I will do is I will read and like right when they're about to do it, I'll stop because it is like, that's the peak is like the longing. And I mean, I like reading the sex scenes just fine. I love them. But that part too, where it's just like, they're about to do it. And it's, that is like the most, like that emotional, like there it's so good. Oh, agreed. I also like, sometimes I get to a sex scene and I'm just like, kind of, I kind of skim for dialogue or big points where I'm like, okay, let's see what, Okay, cool, cool, cool. See, this is why generally <laughs> I I really love a sex I all the sex scenes I love the most in romance are sex scenes with dirty talkers largely yes, because yes. Mm-hmm. the dialogue actually even when it's just filthy sex talk, right? It it's, it's character. Better. Yes. Um instead yes. of sort of the perfunctory like slot A, you know, yes. right, plug B. I mean, also I just feel like for women we're in general, like again, generalization here, but there's so much you're already trying to read and to hear and to have more of that verbal side of things. Like the written word and the verbal word is so hot that it's like, I don't care if you slide your hand down someone's back. Like that's cool. Again, mm-hmm. great. Do it. Right. That has to happen. But if a guy's talking, like, wow. Yeah, you know, he's right like, present. Wow. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's funny because I was, like, reading your column this week, right, where, so it was a man who wrote in and said, like, my girlfriend is constantly telling me how much she loves me, and it's talking, 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 and I'm a doer. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, we're having this essentially, like, clash where she wants me to, like, talk to her more. And you had this great line that was basically, like, it's kind of like practicing dirty talk. It's going to seem silly at the beginning, <laughs> but you're going to get yeah. better at it. it. It's really uncomfortable. And a thing I tell everyone in so many of my columns is most things feel really uncomfortable when you're doing them and you just have to go through it. There's like not a, there's not a workaround. There's not like a, Mm -hmm. a one day you're going to love doing this thing. Like I used to practice saying dirty words in my car driving to work because I was so like, it's my job to call somebody on the phone and say like, oh, what's the best way to uh, go down on a woman and how should you stimulate the clitoris? And if I can't say that without feeling like a third grader, like <laughs> I can't do my job. <laughs> like, oh, I love that story. <laughs> I would literally just like drive in the car and talk and, and say dirty words out loud. Cause, so, yeah. Cause I think all of us still feel that like third grade laugh feeling oh, yeah. of like, haha, he said ass. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like uh, it's just, we all kind of are embarrassed by certain things. So I, I encourage everyone to just like understand that it's going to feel weird and you still have to just Dude, yeah. forward. Well, I mean, We're also I'm, listening to romance audiobooks, boy, that really, I, I used to like, I used to be like, I don't know if I could listen to one. I feel like it would just be too much, but now I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I listened to my first one this year. I'm not very great at listening to audiobooks. So I listened to the first one on a very long drive and it wasn't even a particularly like sexy romance novel, but every time they did something like emotionally vulnerable or the guy f- felt sad or felt gonna feelings have, like, conf- yeah. yes i was like i don't know if i'm supposed to listen to this <laughs> i don't know if i'm allowed <laughs> oh no right it feels so intimate it really does but i mean part of your 
columns, part of the joy of your columns is how much you underscore um, the normalcy of of abnormal of how abnormal it feels. Right there's. Um, I, I was reading your column this week or it wasn't this week, but I've been reading, oh, I, I, this week I reread a lot of your, um, quarantine columns because I think one of the things that's really fascinating to me, both as a writer and as a human is how we are all dealing emotionally with each other in this scenario. It feels like we're all going to come out of this with either like incredibly strong relationships or, you know, uh, an absolute divorce, right? Like there's no middle (laughs) ground. Nobody's coming out of this feeling like, oh, we feel exactly the same about each other, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I was really, but I was reading your sexting column and, um, and how you talk about like, here are the tips. Here are real solid tips for how to do this. Um, and I have been accidentally sexted by someone in my life. Like, <laughs> I was not intended as the recipient of this. I was married and had children at the time. And, like, oh, no. somebody who I happened to know sent me a text. And it was obviously, I mean, we hadn't been, t- it was not an accidental text. It was not like he was also texting me at the same time. He was like, yeah. he had like, called up a new text and put my name in it and sent a text that was like, just lying here stroking my cock thinking of you. And I was <laughs> like, this, is, uh, this feels like a lot. You know, like, I, <laughs> I mean, this is a lot to take in. Aside from it obviously not being for me. <laughs> like, that's a separate <laughs> thing. Like, the other piece of it is like, that's a lot for like anyone as like a first right out of the gate. The like, op- right, that's the opening move, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and I was like, I hope you're making great choices. <laughs> <laughs> that's about all you can say. That's but I mean, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like how you structure. I mean, are you are like, is it just you by yourself like writing these columns? I know that a lot of times you do talk to like experts. Experts, but. You know, when you're writing your sexting column, are you just like, all right, do you get do you get your friends around and say like, all right, Sometimes, what's the worst sexting story you have? I do occasionally talk to friends because I have been in a relationship for um, almost five years now, mm-hmm. which I'm before then I was single forever and I wasn't a relationships person at all. I was like, no, I'm Mrs. Single, like hookups and like I loved that life so um which I remind my boyfriend of often I'm like don't forget I love being single so don't mess this up um no but but I I do sometimes get people's opinions on things like tinder or hinge or something where I'm like Mm -hmm. I haven't used it in a while does it still work this way Mm -hmm. but usually because of what I do for work. Plus I have like a million siblings. I have so many parents because my parents keep getting remarried and I have a lot of female friends, I feel like I have become in some ways kind of the advice receptacle person. Sure. And because I have an opinion on everything, everyone's like, well, no, she You're like family therapist. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. So um, because of that, I have kind of gotten into this, um, and I'm sure you feel similarly in some ways about writing, which is at some point you learn the the almost like the melody of what it is, or you learn like the pattern of it a little bit. And so every time that I write a column or answer a question, the actual advice changes, but the core of it remains the same, much like the core of a romance novel is writing longing and writing fantasy and writing love. The core of it to me is always, always, always just writing empathy because Mm -hmm. almost every sex question comes down to 
I feel either alone or pathological about this thing that is always normal. Like, I've never had anyone ever write in and ask me a question where I was like, that one's weird. (laughs) I'm always like, oh, yeah, no, like, that makes sense. Um, And so I think sometimes if I, when I am having trouble with a column, I try to work backwards to that of like, how do I find a way to tell you not only are you not alone, but if you are feeling sad or you are feeling lonely or you are feeling embarrassed to feel that way and to actually live in that emotion more than to to try to move on from it. Because people are really, really anxious to move on from bad feelings. Yeah. And so almost always if you tell people to like, okay, pull it back in. You haven't felt the bad feeling yet. You think you felt the bad feeling, but you're not done. Get back here. We got more bad feelings to feel. And until you really get into that, like, I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel embarrassed. I'm going to, it's going to suck for a minute until you get to that acceptance of, I don't know this, or this feels like grief, or this feels like shame, or this feels like mourning or loss. Until you get to that, Mm -hmm. you can't get to the fixing it. You can never get to that next level. So almost always, that's like my cheat code, is whenever I'm like really lost on what to do, I usually try to think of situations as either like shame or grief, because those are kind of the big ones, and, and try to figure out, working backwards from there, how can I help this person go through grief or go through shame Rather than saying, how can we get you to forget about this problem? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and then just as you're talking about those like really challenging feelings and the feelings that feel so personal, even when you're in a relationship, like, I mean, I've been married for 13 years and my husband and I have been together for 19 years. And when my, I, I just reread your column about grief, helping your partner through grief. And um, when my dad died a couple of years ago, like, there, I just want to say your column was, it really spoke to me. Like, it felt very oh, real. And I think you really, like, nailed it. Um, because I think those personal, those shame and grief are such intense emotions that feel like you should never share them. Like, they're too much to share. Um, so I'm sure your column, that particular column, too, really helps people. I wish I had had it. I wish I had had it when my dad died. Oh, thank you. I just think, I I really think those are two huge, very lonely feelings. And they're feelings that in America, we think if you're quiet about them, they will go away. And that's like never the case on almost any feeling. No one ever (laughs) teaches you how to talk about those two things. No, it's very hard to go to someone and say, I feel shame and how do I get out of it? Or I feel grief and how do I get out of it? And the answer is you go through it and it sucks. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. The answer. But also it it's not, it is the least lonely. I mean, I remember, you know, particularly with, with grief, but also shame, like these are not odd emotions. Every nope. single one of us has gone through them on right. so many levels, but so many levels, we seem to right. forget that. Yeah. Yes. And like there's so many layers of like the small griefs in your life, griefs in your life and the big ones and the small shames and the big ones like those emotions come up a lot more than just in death and in embarrassment. It it's a lot. It's it's often, you know. Uh, well, this is interesting to me because one of the things I'm really fascinated by is like what I feel like has been an explosion of 
like advice columnists in the past couple of years, especially, mm-hmm. right? Like I feel like when I was growing up, it was like in the paper and it was like Ann Landers or what, Dear Abby or whatever. Yeah. But I feel like now every single online magazine and Reddit has like, you know, like, am I the asshole from, you know, which I have, to, <laughs> I actually had to mute on Twitter because I would get so stressed out about people talking yes. about it. Yes. Right. To, so do you think that's just because we do live in a culture where people don't know how to talk about these things? And so it's like, it has to have an outlet and here it is. Like, why are there so many advice columnists now? Like, I just think it's really interesting to me. And people love to talk about the advice. Like, it's like we game, like people literally are like, ooh, the new advice column from whatever comes out today. And like, let's read it and talk about the advice. I find it fascinating. Well, I think there's a couple reasons. One is that every single person has to have a newsletter now to survive in the world. It's either a newsletter or a podcast, which is another advice. Here we are. Genre is, you know, like you have to have one. And I don't know how to operate anything, so I picked a newsletter because I don't know how to turn on a computer. Um, So I do think part of it is just simply being online more. But I also think that there's fewer collective experiences now. Not, I mean, Trump's trying to definitely bring that back. But, you know, you used to have four TV channels and everyone in your block was watching the same show every night. Mm -hmm. And so in some sense, you were going through a lot of the emotions with your family and with your friends at the same time. And you were all sad that Kennedy got shot and you were all happy that the right you know we reached the moon or whatever I mean that's oversimplification and there's obviously tons of advice back then too but there were a lot of the same beats to your life as the beats to other people's lives and so until you had somebody who was so outside of the norm like a person like Sylvia Plath who was going I hate being a housewife right until you had someone so far out of it to say hey it might be normal if you hate this most of people's lives were, I'm part of a community. I feel the way the community feels. When the community's up, I'm up. When the community's down, I'm down. And that's not a perfect example, but to some extent, you were going through things with everyone in your world. And now your community is like 15 to 20 different people that you know half from the internet and one from the grocery store and like right. three from high school. And so no one is doing this like There's less collective experience, I think. And so I think you find your outlets and your, like, communal grieving or or celebrating in these weird spaces that are a little more detached from everyday in-person life. That's so interesting. That totally makes sense to me. Thank you for it. I mean, I've really been like, why? Like, what is going on here? Because it's so fascinating to me to, like, watch people, like, essentially water cooler and advice column but i feel like that happens but it's also happening even more now like we're all stuck i mean our communities right are so fractured and also so weird like it's such a weird thing that the friendships that you seem to be cultivating and maintaining during the pandemic are different in some way than like the ones Mm -hmm. you were cultivating and maintaining (laughs) before in before times and maybe that's good and maybe it's bad and who knows like it just feels like the fracturing is real now yeah yes well and kelly and i are always talking about how desperate we are for new content yeah. Right. Yes. Like, yes. I, like something happened to me today. Yeah. <laughs> that was not like all the other things because it's been the same stuff. Right. I was talking to friends about how desperate we were for gossip, just low level gossip. And then all of a sudden my next door neighbor, there's this whole saga going on where I, we think that 
one of them is cheating and Ooh. there's been this whole thing <laughs> and then one like, of their tell us <laughs> I know I know right <laughs> and then uh one of their dogs bit me and then it was like kind of this like crazy week where all this these things were happening and so there was like kind of drama with them and then there was like uh, an interesting blog post that what their ex wrote and like we did like this deep dive down there Instagram love it. and we were having so much fun and all of us like my two friends that I had like let in on this like saga we were like oh we just realized that this is like what we've been missing of these yeah. low level really unimportant like gossipy moments that now it became this like four week blown <laughs> way out of proportion thing. <laughs> we were going down rabbit holes we were like I wonder uh, when they started to, like it was so much more than we would ever <laughs> probably have done but we're just so desperate for like this middling level new content that's fun and low stakes that like when I used to work in an office and you'd be like did you see that he was flirting with her I feel like that's kind of weird because he's married you know like that is gone so now it's like you need new content yeah all right I feel like I've been yes that makes sense to me it just can't be am I the asshole because I am pretty much like you're either the asshole or you're in danger. Those are the only... Those are the only two things. Those you're are the, the only two person. things. Yes. You're the worst person alive. You're like, hey, I abuse my partner all the time. Am I a dick? And you're like, yes. Yeah. Or you're the other person and you've been gaslit into being like, terrible. Hey, I asked my boyfriend if he could stop hitting me with the car. Am I an asshole? And you're like, no, what? No, get, get out. Go away. Get out. <laughs> That's it. That There's place. no... No one's like, I don't feel like making dinner tonight. Is it okay to tell my no. husband to go get takeout? Like, that's... Well, one of the right, options like, on Am I the Asshole is, like, everyone's shitty here, and it's almost never... <laughs> that, or, like, no assholes here. It's almost never that. Like, there's no. always somebody who's just terrible. Terrible. Like, yeah. Regular advice columns I can take. But that one is, like, it just stresses me out. I it should just be it. called Am I an Abuser or Am I Being Abused? Yes. And that's yeah. what it should be called. And that's... What the, yeah. co- the column really is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you for letting me vent about that one because it's hard for me. And then <laughs> I see people talking sometimes and it's like, and I'm like, I bet it's about abused or abuser. If I ever have a thing where I say, I'm going to hunt this man down, it's about, I am I the asshole? So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's always about that. Column, nice. Or that. Perfect. Subreddit. So, Sophia, do you want to talk about your new project? Or what you're working oh, on? Oh, yes, I would love to. So I wrote a book of essays that is kind of a memoir, um, and it's called, Well, This is Exhausting. And <laughs> it's... Perfect. <laughs> it speaks to me. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's about kind of growing up as a really good kid, and I wanted to be good, and I didn't do all these things that I felt like all my peers were doing, like drinking and having fun. And I was instead just like this very good kid. And then I tried to be good for men. And then I eventually kind of come to came to this realization that no matter how good you are, there's not like an award. You don't win anything. And you just try really hard for a long time for nothing. Um, <laughs> and so it's kind of that journey in comedic essays. And it will be coming out in July of 2021 as of right now. Um, from gallery books. Yay. Awesome. You'll be sister a sister published sister published with Christina Lauren, who are two of our Yeah, I favorites. love their books. I do they're, they're great great contemporary authors. That is a they I read all of their stuff as well. Their so. current book, which just came out this we don't know when this episode will be running, but this week Christina and Lauren put out in a holidays, which is their their holiday book, and it's Groundhog Day, but a romance novel. <gasps> oh my and god, it I love said this. it like 
on the 26th of December, and it is great. Wait, I can't wait to read that. Okay, Sophia, I would like you to talk about Jimmy Butler. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm so excited. So I... So I'm going to tell you, any time, so Mr. Reed's Romance is a big sports fan, and all of my, like, supporting conversations with him about his, like, fantasy football teams or whatever are, like, ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'll, like, sort of ask him because I want to be nice, but if we are, like, sitting down to watch football together, I will be, like, checking out, like, who is that hot coach? And he'll be like, what are, I'll be like, yes. why are their socks different? I mean, ridiculous, right? So the other day, I was like, oh, we're going to have this woman on, and she loves Jimmy Butler. What do you have to tell me about Jimmy Butler? And he was like, <laughs> well, the Bulls, you know, I don't even know what the Bulls did. The Bulls had an opportunity to keep him, or I don't know, they did something stupid and and I was like no that's not the analysis you need I don't care I would I need to know about him being very handsome (laughs) I also would like to know about him apparently being a good a team player this is what I've gleaned from the the very important Twitter information I have about Jimmy Butler (laughs) okay so here's the thing I'm gonna try to keep this concise but I love Jimmy Butler I uh I played hockey growing up and always was a hockey fan. My whole family plays hockey. And then one year there was a hockey lockout and I got into basketball. And then when I started dating my boyfriend, he was into the Sixers. So I started loving the Philadelphia 76ers. And I've always liked sports, mainly because it's men and they're going to slap each other on the ass. And they want to kiss. They want to kiss. And I know it. Mm -hmm. I know that's the truth. (laughs) So I love sports for that reason. Sure. And I'm just waiting for the day that two opponents just have a nice kiss at the end and it will happen someday so, someday and it's really hot men so i'm like okay i can watch this of course and they i are handsome men yes handsome and the problem with hockey is they're covered in helmets you can't see much but not basketball basketball says here you go and so <laughs> obviously i got into the nba and for one year last year jimmy butler was on the sixers and i fell in love with him because he it was the last First round draft pick. He was like a 30th pick, which is very, very low. Basically, they were like, you're not going to become a basketball player. People told him that. Like, they were just like, you're probably going to have one or two seasons, and then you'll be a bench player. You'll be whatever. You'll go play in Europe somewhere that doesn't like basketball. Go play in Europe. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) So he also had been homeless before he became a basketball player. Um, He has, like, had a very hard childhood, and had everything against him for being a good, like, a great basketball player. He's probably going to be, like, good enough to be in the NBA. Not great. Right. But then Jimmy Butler was like, absolutely not. I'm going to work so hard. Fuck all of you guys. (laughs) And kind of out of, like, this absolute pure love of both the game and hard work, he was like, I'm going to spite my way into being good, which I already love that story. I'm like, yes. I love that story, too. This is what we need. And he is so playful and happy all the time. He started playing country music to spite other people in the locker room when it was his turn, and then he ended up loving country music, and now he loves country music. Like, he's... He drives a minivan, a t- 2017 minivan, because he can fit all his friends in it. And he's just like, this is great. Oh I love my minivan. <laughs> like, That's so pure. That actually is amazing. It's yeah. like so sweet. He, like, again, loves country music. He has started a coffee company in the bubble, in the, like, NBA bubble at Disneyland. Sorry, Disney World. And uh, he, like, started this coffee company because they weren't selling 
coffee and he was making coffee and selling it to other guys and he was selling it for $20 for every single size small medium and large all $20 (laughs) and everyone was making fun of him for it and like even the reporters were like why are you selling this for $20 that's insane and he literally was like these are millionaires. They can afford it. Like, <laughs> like whatever. It's not like he's selling it to regular yeah, people. Like, these right. guys make, have a Ferrari. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you know? They don't have change. They just go to the ATM. Yes, yeah, they get right. their 20, yeah. That's it. That's $20. Like, they don't care. $20 is the that's same amazing. as $1 to me. Exactly. Like, like, who cares? Um, so I, so he's just this, like, very playful person. But I remember reading, it was actually in GQ, he had a, a really interesting interview where he talked about the fact that he was like, I was not born with this great innate talent. And he's like, I obviously have some talent and athleticism built in, but he was like, I wasn't born talented, but I want to win more than anything else. And I want my team to care and I want people to work hard and I'm playing a game for a living, basically. Like, why would I not put my everything into this all the time? So as a player, what I see, and again, this is biased because he's really hot in a crop top, so <laughs> keep that in mind. Yeah, but, an exceedingly yeah. good-looking person. You've seen that photo. <laughs> I well, sent it to Sarah. Yesterday, beautiful. Jen was like, Jen tweeted you, like, oh, we're going to talk about him. And I was like, who is, what? what who is this? What are we doing? And yes. Jen texted me a bunch of photos. I was like, I'm on board. I'll be wrapped. Wrapped <laughs> I'm on, I got it. <laughs> I know. She's like, oh, my. And I was like, so look, obviously, all you need to know. Biased, obviously biased. He like, sounds delightful, I, by the way. Yeah, he is such a like. Again, I, there's a lot of flaws with any person. Like, he's also friends with Mark Wahlberg, which I'm not the biggest fan of Mark Wahlberg because he's not a great person. Question mark, but fine. Question mark, but okay. You know what? I gotta give crushes at least one or two things. You know, <laughs> if you're gonna like like men, you have to give up on a couple things. You know, but so say he, we all. Right, like you have to give in. You're like that's not they're not perfect, but um, he's just like as a player. I think he's very because he's so interested in winning. He is so willing to pass the ball to whoever or not be the person to make the play because it's like to him it's not like he had a really great game on on one of the finals games and he got like a triple double which for anyone who doesn't watch basketball it just means he had a, an amazing game like he had a lot of points in three different categories that don't matter but <laughs> he had this great great game and at the end a reporter was asking him and they were like oh jimmy i heard that like congratulations on your triple double double and he literally was like i don't care about the triple double we won a finals game like he doesn't his focus is like let's win let's get this as a team i want to win so He's been criticized for being a little, like, petty or spiteful or, like, trying to get his team, like, caring too much about winning and being, like, too into it. But personally, I think it's, like, this is what you should do if you're playing a game for a living. Like, yeah, go all in, baby. Let's go. (laughs) So he's playing tonight. If you guys want to just uh, have it on mute and don't watch the game and just wait for close-ups, you know? (laughs) I probably will do that. I'll I'll tell Mr. Reed's romance that it's for research. Yes, romance, <laughs> romance reasons. I need to watch you this. Need to watch it. Although he's really, my poor husband is really confused because it's 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 Sunday and it's football. Sunday is mm. for football. We worship in the house of football on Sunday. In fact, a couple weeks ago, my friend's son, he came over and brought dinner for me and was just like, all you have to do is pop in the oven. And we sat outside and talked for an hour. And then I was like making dinner. And my husband's like, where did this come from? Because it's it was not something I'd like normally make. I'm making the same seven dishes. And I was like, son, he came over and we like hung out for an hour outside. And he was like, she did. And I was, he's like, how come I didn't notice? And I was like, it's Sunday. 
Right. Yeah, no. As soon as sports are on, my boyfriend, like, if there's a Sixers game on, he's gone. That's game over. We're gone. Sophia, this is why, this story that you just told, this is why you're a Ted Lasso fan. I love Ted Lasso. Oh, my God. It's, Have you been watching? Uh, I mean, we've, I binged the whole, I mean, I'm so sad it's over. I, we're going to have to wait. I rewatched it. Uh, it's amazing. So, and of course, it's like, talk about delightful people playing sports. Yes. <laughs> like, people who should not, who should not be successful at sports, being involved in sports. Yes. Yes. I love those stories. Yeah. yeah our whole brand on Faded Mates is like, if we're going to like you for sports, it's because you have a real winning personality, yeah. right? We like, we now are Jimmy Butler fans, Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah. We like Ted Lasso a lot. Jurgen Klopp. That's it. Like, Jurgen Klopp. The Holy Trinity. I mean. Yes. Clip Klopp. That's it. You have to be hot and have a good personality, and I don't care how yes. good you are necessarily at the sport, but just yeah. you're trying your best, and you're hot and sweet, and that's what we want. Well, we also like we competence. Like, you don't need to be a superstar, but you do need to, like, be able yes. to Hard work the and goods. competent. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. That's exactly who I want. I yeah. love Ted Lasso because it's, like, nice guys. Ugh. You never see nice straight men. Like, I don't think I have liked a straight white male character in, like, 14 years. Like, and then on TV. here Jason I, no. Sudeikis is just being adorable along with all of those, him. like, English boys. Oh, you know, Roy I mean, Kent. like, sign me up. Sign me up. I'm ready to play for Richmond. <laughs> I'll coach next exactly. year. I will coach. You seem skilled. Like, they hired a football coach. Maybe they need a basketball lover. Maybe they do. I could be really good at it, and I would like to apply. No, the final—I mean, we. I've talked I've talked about Ted Lasso a couple times on the podcast, but the final episode of the season is just a delight. Like, I have not—in seven months of quarantine, I have not had such a straight shot of joy as I did— the Diamond Dog episode, I don't want to spoil anything, but the Diamond Dog episode of that show made me feel so hopeful mm-hmm. for just people. Yeah. Like, I love people in general. I am very hopeful for people. But that Diamond Dog episode, yeah. I was like, maybe straight men can turn this car around. <laughs> maybe. We'll give them a chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let Jason Sudeikis write the next season of Life. <laughs> Yes. Literally, that gave me, like, six extra months of talking to straight men. Because I planned on stopping at some yeah. point in my life. But that bought them, like, another six so months. So, have you read anything about it? You know, the the guy who plays Roy Kent in the show, he was in the writer's room. And he, like, yeah, helped yeah, yeah. write. And then he realized that he wanted to play the character. So, he sent an email in the middle of... This is so English. He sent an email in the middle of the night that was like, I really think that if you are still interested in, like, casting this character and you haven't decided who, I'd like to be it. But if you don't think this is a good idea, just don't ever say anything to me about it. And we'll pretend (laughs) I never sent this email. That's so cute. That's adorable. And he's darling. I did I did know he's a writer. And I also know that um, Beard is another creator, that Coach Beard is... Oh, I believe that. You know, he's so funny. All of them are so funny. The quiet one in the corner is always one of the writers. He's really horny too. He's a very horny man, which I love. I love. Wait, how do we? Because I think (laughs) citation. (laughs) Well, no, in the show. In the show. show. I just meant. I'm sorry. In the show. Like in real life. You're like in real life. This is my thirst for gossip. New content. (laughs) Wow. I wish. Oh my god. Now I kind of want to know. Um. I'm going mean, to write into your advice column and be like, Sophia, could you please rank the characters on Ted Lasso in order of horniness? <laughs> I have to do this. Yours. I actually, this is like, I, I had somebody reach out to see if I wanted to interview um, Rebecca. Like the, yeah, the, she's great. 
she's amazing. And I don't know where to pitch it yet. So I'm like spending my whole, the rest of my weekend is me like looking for a place to pitch this. Cause I'm like, everyone needs to know about it. I this. feel like this is the problem. Those of us who have watched the show are like evangelists. Yes. And I don't feel like enough people. It's cause Apple plus who the it's fuck it's is Apple. watching. It's, yes. First of all, I mean, I shouldn't say it cause you know, I would really like Apple plus to buy my books if they'd like them. <laughs> but <laughs> but yes. truthfully, like what, like so many of these shows are just nothing shows. They're just well, boring and terrible. I- how do you even have a straight face conversation where you ask another adult to get Apple Plus? Like, how do you say, hey, you should get Apple yeah. Plus so you can watch the show? They're like, what's it on? I'm like, Apple Plus. They're like, they're like, yeah, go what fuck is yourself. That? <laughs> like, like, no. I, you know what? I just feel like I, I want all those people to go in the time machine back when they were bitching about cable being packaged together mm-hmm. and how, you know, they pay for all these fucking channels they don't want yes. and being like, you could be watching Ted Lasso right now, but you didn't want to pay for the Weather Channel. Sorry. And now, now look at the fucking mess we're in. Right? Yes. Yes. This is all your fault. You brought this upon us. Someone's going to invent cable in three years. They're going to be like, I've got this great idea, everybody. One price, all these. I'll be like, fuck you. But Apple Plus, it came out of the gate real strong. It was like, we have the show with Jason Momoa, who is blind, maybe. Or like, we have like, you know, Jennifer Aniston doing her thing over here. Like, they had all these, like, big names doing big things, and they were all just, like, slowly, just sort of sad collapsing. Well, the only people that are excited about Jennifer Aniston being back on TV as, like, enough of a thing to, like, carry a whole show is, like, 10% of Friends fans. Like, even people who like Friends, that's not enough to, like, make someone dedicate a whole season. Jennifer Aniston is for sure the the best of them. The best of the Friends for yes. me. Like, she has She's worked wonderful. hard. She's great. But, like, come on, Apple Plus. You have all that jobs money. They have so much money, and their solution was, like, what if three white people were on a morning talk show? And I was like, <laughs> no, come on. Like, you could have given me, like, a dragon having sex with, like, a yeah. Big robot, and you got this. But they Come couldn't on. give Sudeikis twenty-two episodes of Ted Lasso to get us through a pandemic. I could have watched that show. Oh, eight hundred more yeah. times. Also, if Keely is so delightful and happy and fun, I and Rebecca. So Jen, you haven't. I know you haven't watched the show, but Rebecca is like the the divorced. I told you. I've told you enough about the show that the the. Rebecca is the divorced wife who inherit, like, in the divorce, she gets the soccer team. She's in her 40s or, like, well, you know, mm-hmm. late 40s, I would think. Yeah, I, I think don't know. so. I don't know how old she is, but in the, on the show, she's, like, in, and she's beautiful, and she's competent, and she's put together, and she's, like, not a monster. She, like, does a bad thing, but, like, isn't just a bad character. And by the end of the epi- by the end of the season, you're just, like, Rebecca is, like, I want... 25 Rebecca's on TV right now. Like, just I nuanced, older, older. Well, I will nuanced tell you. people who are in their 40s. I, I barely watch TV, but this is actually on my list of things to watch. Usually when people tell me about TV shows, I'm like, oh, that sounds great. I'll put it on my list. And that's my way of lying. But this one is yeah. actually on my list. Well, this so. one is, I would argue, a romance. A, it's a rom-com. It's a rom-com. Yeah. Should, they're going to get together, right? I don't want them to. I thought originally Ooh. I did because I was like, I need them. I need every time two people are I mean, on yeah, screen. I mean, yeah, I want them to mash kissing. their face together. Yeah, I'm like, get together. Like <laughs> yes, I, that's me. You will not be surprised to learn I had Barbies for years and years and made them all have sex. But I wanted that to happen with them at first. And then I was like, 
There's something so cool about the fact that they're like they're friends. Friends. Yeah, all right, fine. And like, fine. But if they did mash their faces together a little bit. Oh my god, I would you would hear me scream. The first time they kiss, I'm gonna like throw my TV out the window. We're gonna need we are we are email <laughs> friends now, but we are going to need to be text friends for when Ted Lasso comes back. <laughs> you have no idea. I you're gonna get a text that's just like eight things of being like hearts. <laughs> Yeah, and you're going to be like, I know what happened. Okay, well, that's a spoiler for Ted Lasso. Or you're going to send it to me, and I'm going to be like, I know what happened. I would like in on this text sweat. I feel like I will I will, I will, will be caught up by then. I'll have something to add to it, I promise. That's the other thing is it's very fast. No episode is like, oh, come on. let's. No, There's not so a single quick. moment wasted. That show is so clean. It just, like, everything counts. Mr. Reed Romance likes sports. He'll be fine. He does. He he has said he would watch this with me. He'll love I'm, it. I'm, I'm the problem when it comes to watching. Yeah. Honestly, your your whole family, it's like such a family it's really friendly vibe because yeah. it's so funny that it doesn't, it's not like a romantic show. It's so funny, but it is also romantic. Fine. That's my pitch. That sounds like what I want. It sounds like what I want. Thank you so much for being with us today. This was delightful. Sophia, come back and talk with us again. Oh my God, I would love to. You know to. what? My... Find that early Balo that you love, Mary Balo. Okay. And oh yeah. We'll all read it. Let's do a deep dive episode on it. Okay, a deep dive episode. I am one of my goals for next year, actually for 2021, is to actually write my first romance novel. So we will see if that ever takes off or happens. But that's like the next thing. So this has been motivating for me to be like, okay, nice. Here we go. Now it's official. You heard it here, Romance Landia. (laughs) It's coming. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if it ever happens. But we'll see. Yay! You'll have to pick a good pen name though. Why? She's got a great name. No, I, I have a pen name already decided from when I used to write like really emotional thought catalog things. So I'm just. Is it like? It's my middle and last name. Hornietta? <laughs> Hornietta Hornyville. Uh, <laughs> I wish. Go ahead and take that one for free. <laughs> Hornietta. Oh, that's amazing. Clitoria Hornietta. I wish. No, um, it's like my middle and last name more stylized, so it's Jillian Bennett, which is also Perfect. a family that's name. A is Bennett, very so. solid romance. All right, would you write a historical? Easy. Oh, of course. I already have three plots for three characters what? that are siblings. Like, I have it all. Well, Sophia, you know, I'm writing every day. You can just come do sprints with me. I'll get that book um, written with you. Okay, here I come. <laughs> I'm going to for I you're going to I'm going to make you tell me the story and then I'm going to yell at you every day. <laughs> Wait, this is amazing. How much do you charge? Not, nothing. I just it's, want the book. Friendship is free. <laughs> it's going to be horny. It, you heard it here I'm first. For it. I mean, I'm unsurprised <laughs> and for it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank, thank you, you so, much, so much, Sophia. Thank. Uh, tell, wait. Tell everybody where they can find you. They can where they can sign up for your newsletter. Where they can read your columns. So you can read my columns on GQ, but I post everything on my Twitter, which is at one follower, no dad. <laughs> and I have a newsletter that is here's the thing where I give advice and sometimes just write random newsletters about being horny about things. So you can find me online there. Here's the thing or on Twitter at, at one follower, no dad. And we'll put everything. We'll put links in show notes to all oh, everything stuff. in show notes. For oh, sure. Thank you so much. Sophia, thank you so much for joining us. It was really, really fun to have you. And we will have you back to deep dive and talk about your romance novel when it's written soon. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me. Wasn't Sophia an amazing guest? 
she's so great. I know. She's so fun. I would like to put out there into the world that any editor who reads my tweets and thinks I'm funny, I'd be really happy to write for you. (laughs) I was like, this is really a good part of your story, and I like it. I like that that happened. Also, you know what? She better write that romance novel, because I want to read it. I feel the same way, and I feel like anytime somebody tells me they've got plots in their heads, I'm like, I would be happy to hear them for you. All right. This has been Fated Mates, everyone. You can find us at FatedMates.net. Um, there at FatedMates.net, there is a veritable cornucopia of things that you can look at. Not only can you listen to us in your ear holes for three whole seasons, but you can read transcripts. Thanks to Linda and Gwen, who are helping us with transcripts. You can buy merch from Jordan Denae or from best friend Kelly. You can listen to the Spotify playlist of all the music that Eric has put into all of these podcasts over the years. You can watch all of the videos of all of that music just right there at fatedmates.net. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know why anyone is ever anywhere else on the internet, Sarah. Please. <laughs> and uh, we hope you're having a great, a great day. <laughs>